Lord is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wisdom and honor and glory and blessing. He is worthy. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. We are starting a five-week series on spiritual warfare. I have the privilege of bringing the first and the fifth messages of these five. Uh, there'll be three other guys, uh, Joe Dillon, uh, Steve Harris, and Scott Angelo, who will be doing the middle one. So I guess you could say you'll be eating a spiritual warfare sandwich over the next five weeks. Uh, and I'm the two pieces of white bread, and then you'll get all the meat in the middle, okay? I think you'll have some very satisfying soul food. By the way, Pastor Chris uh, should be returning five weeks from today. He'll be back all suntanned and rested with many signatures of Nick Saban, I'm sure, or something he'll bring with him, uh, Alabama paraphernalia. Well, when we think of the word epic, and that's the title of this message, The Epic War. We think of a, a mega conflict, one that has, well, epic meaning and ramifications. A battle that involves a hero, sometimes an unlikely hero, who overcomes the greatest of odds to accomplish great good. I, I think of William Wilberforce, who uh, brought before the British Parliament uh, to bring a stop to the slave trade in England. And that was in the movie Amazing Grace, if you've seen that movie. Um, Scotsman William Wallace, who took on the King of England. You might have seen the movie Braveheart, pretty epic. Uh, who can forget uh, Frodo's heroic and grueling journey uh, to get rid of the one ring of uh, Sauron in the Lord of the Rings tr trilogy? Uh, one you may not have seen, but I recommend the story of Louis Zamperini in Unbroken. Uh, I re recommend the book over the movie, by the way, of that. Incredible, incredible story. One of my favorites, too, uh, conscientious objector medic Desmond Doss's heroic rescue of 75 U.S. soldiers in the Battle of Okinawa in the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Awesome, awesome movie. If we're talking about epic movies, we can't forget Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, not one of Keanu Reeves' most epic works. Uh, I would say the Matrix series might qualify for that. But all these movies and books and all are just glimpses. They're shadows, they're echoes of the epic war. The war between good and evil, the kingdom of light and the domain of darkness, Christ and the Antichrist, the epic battle between God and Satan. It's a battle that still rages today, and by the way, every one of you plays a very important role in it. Now, my study of spiritual warfare goes back about 40 years, actually, and I was with a ministry at that time, in youth ministry, and we had a summer project in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And the idea was that <clears throat> ministries uh, around the country would send their top-notch, supposedly spiritual cream of the crop students to Myrtle Beach, and we would train them in personal evangelism. They'd learn to share their faith on the beach. They'd have a job and all that kind of stuff, and we would disciple them. Well, uh, the problem was that um, there was sin in that camp. A lot of rebellion uh, amongst the teenagers towards the, 
toward our the sponsors and the leaders and all that. And so it was not a pleasant place to minister during the first part of that summer. I remember lying in bed <clears throat> uh, one night and being awoken, uh, awakened out of a total deep sleep and opening my eyes and there perched in front of me was this horrible, ugly, leering, mocking face. And it wasn't one of the teenagers, by the way. So I did what every red-blooded American, young, virile man would do in the middle of the night. I screamed and pulled the sheet over my head, hoping that whatever it was would be gone in the morning. Well, <clears throat> I believe the enemy overstepped his bounds a little bit, and we got fired up and started praying, asking God to surface everything, to bring to light all the darkness. One of the kids confessed that they were shoplifting and doing other things, and we had sent them home. Uh, many of the other kids who were in rebellion repented and surrendered their lives to Christ on a deep level. And we saw revival break out in our midst on that project. One thing I learned at that time, an early lesson, is that the devil is attracted to sin like flies are attracted to garbage. So you can swat flies and try to get, them, get rid of them and more will come. Or you can get rid of the garbage and the flies will depart to smellier places. And so a principle that I learned of spiritual warfare at an early age. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul wrote that we're not ignorant of the devil's schemes. You know, sadly, in the West here, in the Western part, Western Hemisphere, I don't think many of us can make that same claim because many of us are very ignorant of the enemy's schemes. We tend in America to view things from a material scientific worldview, wanting to sort of distill everything down to a psychological or physiological problem. Now, are there psychological problems? Are there mental illnesses? Absolutely, no question about it. Are there physiological, physical problems? Yes, for sure. We need psychiatrists and psychologists and hospitals and medical doctors, no question about it. But if we neglect the spiritual, supernatural world, our efforts to rescue and restore people will be greatly hindered and hampered. You know, you think about it, what's the best strategy if you're trying to keep from being noticed and exposed? Convince people you don't exist. That's by and large what he's done with the church in the West. So, I thought you would uh, enjoy hearing from someone who uh, experienced some spiritual issues, some supernatural problems, and she went through a variety of means to try to get it fixed, and, well, here's her story. For a long time, I believed my story was unique. I wondered if anyone else in the world endured the types of spiritual conflicts I was experiencing. Although I felt very alone, I was sure that I couldn't be the only one. I was experiencing terrible nightmares and had nights in which I felt the presence of something dark in my room. One night I awoke feeling like someone was choking me and I could not speak or say the name of Jesus. I was terrified. So I sought help from church leaders and pastors. They had no idea how to encourage me. 
I was experiencing panic attacks, and my thoughts were so loud, destructive, and frightening that I visited my Christian primary care physician. When I expressed the idea that the enemy was attacking me, she responded by diagnosing me with a bipolar disorder and told me I'd have to be on medication for the rest of my life. She also gave me a prescription for antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds. I was devastated. Told my husband the diagnoses, and he assured me that wasn't true. I decided not to take the medication. I just didn't feel at peace about it. My pastors, <coughs> excuse me, prayed over me, but nothing changed. I began Christian counseling, which helped a bit, but was nowhere near worth the $400 per month I was paying. When I told my Christian counselor about what was happening in my mind and about my fears, she too said, I think it's time for medication. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times for medication. Absolutely. Okay. It sounded like, she goes on to say, that everyone thought I was crazy. No one believed that my problem was truly spiritual. And she came across a book uh, from the Ministry of Freedom of Christ Ministries called Who I Am in Christ. And she said, I finally read stories of people I could relate to. I knew there was an answer. And in that book, she heard about the Steps to Freedom in Christ, which, by the way, we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, she was scared of going through that process. It's sort of a counseling process of sorts. Uh, she didn't know what to expect. But finally, she went through them. And she said, going through the Steps to Freedom was one of the most difficult yet incredible things I've done. I experienced a lot of interference, such as headache and confusion. But having the Holy Spirit reveal to me all that I needed to renounce was incredible. After going through the steps, my mind, listen to this, my mind was completely silent. It was amazing. I remember the pastor asking me to close my eyes and tell them what I was hearing. So I paused. All I could hear was the air conditioning in the room. There were no nagging voices. I was totally at peace. I wanted to cry with joy. After that, I wasn't afraid of being alone. The nightmares were gone. I didn't have to turn on the radio or television to drown out the terrible thoughts. I could sit in silence and be still. It was beautiful. She goes on to say that she continued to uh, work on her freedom and grow in that and uh, is just free in Christ. Now, <clears throat> the difficulty here in a setting like this is I'm talking to you. You're not talking to me. At least not verbally. Some of you are listening to this and thinking that this person has read my mail. That's what I go through on a daily basis. Folks, I share this with you to give you hope. Greater is he who is in the world. Excuse <laughs> Blech. Erase that. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Jesus is greater than anything we're going through. And so please, if you're struggling with any of these things, please get some help. So why is it important that we become aware of and equipped in spiritual warfare? There's a couple of reasons. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot a few things down. First of all, ignorance is not bliss. Not knowing what your enemy is up to will bring needless hurt and harm to you and to your loved ones. That's a strong statement, I realize that. But I believe it with all my heart. That if we live in a two-thirds realm, so to speak, of the mind and the physical body and ignore the supernatural spiritual, it's going to have 
consequences. Scripture says, 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now this is not just religious talk. This is the word of God. This is true. We cannot just ignore these kind of statements in the Bible. Our daughter Michelle, who's now in her early 30s and married with a little kid, uh, name's Kaysen. Do we have the pictures up? No, I'm just kidding. Um, when she was young, maybe about six years old or so, I was teaching at a Bible conference in Erie, Pennsylvania. About a thousand people, everyone comes with the campers and RVs, you know, and they sort of hang out there. <clears throat> and um, so it was a wonderful Christian environment. Well, uh, we had three kids at that time. We had not yet adopted Luke at that time. And so anyway, we were all in one room together. And as we were turning the lights out, Michelle announces to everybody, especially me, she said, Daddy, I have an imaginary friend. Oh, really? Yeah. This little orphan girl named Becca, who lives in this house, uh, approached me and said she wants to be my friend, and she wants to come home and live at our house. Now, think about this for a second. What if I had said to her, oh, that's cute, honey. That, that's sweet. You got an imaginary friend. I hope, I hope that's a fun thing for you. Now, I understand that kids at an early age can line up their stuffed animals, pretend they're teaching, and you know, that kind of stuff. This is different. This is different. This was a spiritual entity identifying itself to her and approaching my daughter for friendship. Well, I was starting to burn on the inside, to be perfectly honest, like, okay, this is not good. And so I asked God quietly, I said, Lord, what, what do I do here? And he said, just basically deal with this in an age-appropriate way. So I said, Michelle, <clears throat> the bad angel, and that's what we would call the devil. By the way, we taught Michelle starting age three when she came to Christ to be able to say out loud that Jesus is bigger than the bad angel. And she did it many times when she was afraid. Children are not too young to learn this, folks. So I said, sometimes the devil puts on, or the bad angel puts on a costume to appear to be something he's not. Becca is not a little orphan girl. It's not a good idea for Becca to become your friend. And I'll be darned if that thing is coming to live in our house. So I said, Michelle, you're going to have to tell Becca to go in the name of Jesus. Okay, Daddy. You know, I'm thinking, what a great relationship with my daughter. Not only will she tell me this, but she understands that this is the spiritual world we live in. This was not something weird. So she said, out loud, by the way, which we need to do, get out of here, Becca. I don't want you as a friend. Go away. Well, <clears throat> I went into the bathroom to cool off a little bit because I was pretty steaming on the inside. And I think the Lord gave me a word of wisdom of saying that, you know, sometimes little girls will want to have secrets with each other. And so I came back and said to Michelle, now if Becca comes back and says, oh, this is just our little secret, don't tell any of the grown-ups, you know, we'll just kind of have this relationship. Um, don't let her do that. Okay, Daddy. Well, I checked in six weeks later, no sign of Becca. Uh, it was gone. Now, what if... What if my worldview didn't include the reality of that as a possibility? What could have happened to the trajectory of Michelle's life? She loves the Lord Jesus. She's involved in a great church. She's got her doctorate in psychology. 
she's married and with a little boy and all that. Her life could have been like a train track, a switch flipped, gone in another direction if this had been permitted. Folks, I'm really concerned that as parents and grandparents, we are too passive in terms of what we allow into our own minds and into the minds of our children and grandchildren. We just assume that, well, you know, they're in there watching, playing a video game, or they're watching this movie, and it's all good, and all that kind of stuff, and they haven't started worshiping Satan yet, but we don't know what sort of detriment is happening in the minds of our kids. We'll talk about that a little more later. The second reason why we need to um, be aware and equipped to spiritual battle is that failure to be equipped and effective in spiritual warfare will stunt your spiritual growth and prevent you from moving on to spiritual maturity in Christ. Now, you may not believe me. Look with me for a moment at 1 John chapter 2 and follow these words. The Apostle John is talking about three categories or levels of spiritual growth. Children, young men, and mature fathers. Okay, so watch what he says to them. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Great, great place to start. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. That's the Lord Jesus he's talking about. I'm writing to you young men, listen to this, because you have overcome the evil one. The characteristic of those in that middle level of spiritual growth is that they have overcome the evil one. Okay, let's finish up here. He says, I write to you children because you know the father. That's great. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. That's the main characteristic of a mature Christian. They know Jesus really well. Then he goes back to the young men. He says, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Folks, this course, if you want to call it that, for five weeks on spiritual warfare, what we're covering is not an elective This is a required course. If you desire to grow and mature in Christ. I think it's fascinating. The one thing that John talks about that distinguishes somebody who's not a spiritual child or baby anymore and is moving on to maturity is they're strong. They've overcome the evil one and they have the word of God in them. May that be your heart desire as well. Well, um, finally, the last reason that is so important to be aware of and equipped in spiritual warfare is that without a biblical grasp of the spiritual world which opposes us, our ministries of prayer, evangelism, discipleship, and missions will be greatly impeded, if not defeated, totally. So here's the word that you're probably not going to be excited about, but Hear it anyway, it's true. You, singular and plural, are in this epic war. Whether you believe it or not, feel it or not, or want to or not. You didn't see it, but it was in the fine print of your birth certificate. Signed by your footprint. There There are no exceptions, no exemptions, No exit clauses in this lifetime contract. But there's one thing we can do. We can make sure we're on the winning side. 
and we can become good soldiers of Christ Jesus. And that's what this series is all about. So would you join with me in prayer? Very simple prayer will be up on the, the screen. I'd like you to pray out loud with me, if you wouldn't mind. Think about the words as we pray together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are great. You are good. Thank you for your unfailing love for me. Thank you for taking such good care of me. Please open my eyes, open my ears, open my heart to understand, believe, and follow your truth. And please protect me from all evil. Amen. All right, let's dive into a couple chunks of scripture uh, just briefly this morning. First of all, the war is on. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. And this is where spiritual warfare comes to earth. The narrator of the story, who was Moses, I suppose, in the writing of it, wrote, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now the word crafty doesn't necessarily mean sinister. It just means really shrewd and smart and all that kind of stuff. And So the serpent that we know now was possessed by uh, Satan, uh, knew exactly what he was doing. Eve, however, who was very naive and innocent, did not know what was going on. Now, we don't know where this conversation first began. By the way, isn't it interesting that there's no reaction from Eve of shock or horror that a snake is talking to her? What's that all about? Maybe snakes talked in the Garden of Eden. We don't know, you know. Uh, but anyway, it seemed like no big deal. So where they were in the Garden, we don't know, but we know where they end up. They end up by the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, and so, <clears throat> I think it's fascinating that when God put Adam, and then Eve came along later, in the garden, he told him to cultivate it and to keep it. Cultivation, gardening, and all that kind of stuff, whatever you had to do in the Garden of Eden, keep it. The word keep means to guard. Isn't that interesting? Guard from what? See, the Lord knew that there was an enemy. I really believe when the serpent started to talk to Eve and to try to drag him into this conversation, which he successfully did, Adam could have told that snake to get out of there in the name of God Almighty. The authority was there to do that. But he took a passive, passive role. And I talked about this a little bit earlier. The passivity, not only of men, but at times of women as well, in our homes, in our lives, can be deadly. Deadly. I mean, one of the things we did in our house early on uh, when we were watching TV, we decided, decided we we're going to mute the commercials. Don't take that, you blabbering idiot. You know, it's, it's like, why would you want to have somebody blasting to you time after time? I mean, an average hour show is like 41 or 42 minutes. You know what that means? For 18 minutes, an hour, someone is trying to sell you stuff you don't need, that you don't want, and is actually obnoxious to your ears. So, you know, we're watching these goofy prescription medication commercials, you know, where they're out in the garden, the field, and they're all looking like this. Like, what drug are you on, you know? Meanwhile, if we hear, heard the words, they'd be telling us all the terrible side effects that are happening as this person's doing this. Um, so, you know, taking an active involvement uh, 
hit me really home when I was discipling some teenagers uh, in the Philadelphia area at one time, and they were all into D&D, Dungeons and Dragons, all this stuff. And, and if you know anything about that, of course, there's been movies uh, about it, and the, the players take on characters, and they're involved in worlds that are created and all that kind of stuff. A lot of creativity involved with it. But uh, this kid I was discipling named Sean had as his character an assassin. By the way, uh, his parents, really nice Christian parents, had no clue what their kids were involved with. Sean called me up terrified. Everywhere he went, he felt there was a dark presence lurking. He was scared to death for his life of an assassin. Spiritual force of darkness. Well, fortunately, I knew how to handle it, and I took him through a process of helping him get set free, which he was, uh, and the thing was gone. Again, the scripture says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We dare not ignore that or think that that's just religious talk. When Adam and Eve sinned, they basically abdicated authority to the enemy over the world. And we'll see when he talks to Jesus, when the devil talks to him, how he controls uh, the whole world. Well, Satan said to Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Of course, God had not said that. Uh, it's almost like the devil was saying, hey, hey Eve, listen, you know, I, I heard this really rumor. You know, tell me it ain't true. You know, that, that God doesn't want you to eat from any of these trees, all these beautiful trees in the garden. Uh, and, of course, the devil is seducing Eve into a conversation to talk about it. And so she feels obligated to defend God. You know? Oh, no, 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 no. God, God didn't say that we couldn't eat any of them, but we can't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. In fact, we don't even touch it uh, lest we die. Um, you know, the, the insinuation from the devil is that God isn't good. Guess why we sang two songs about the goodness of God this morning? That's where the devil attacks, on the goodness of God. You can't trust God. He doesn't have your best interest in heart. He doesn't know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. Follow your own heart. Follow your own. That's the whole world system. And so the devil says, ah, you're not going to die. See, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Hey, God can't be trusted here. He wants to be top dog. He knows that if you eat from this, you're going to be like him. He doesn't want that. Well, it was a half-truth, actually. Their eyes were opened. They became like God, knowing good and evil. But God had never tended mankind to experience evil. And they did. That was the deception. Because Eve saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes and desirable to make her wise, and so she took and ate. And apparently Adam agreed because he also took and ate. This next statement is a sobering statement. Sin starts to look good when God doesn't. 
My friend, Dr. Marcus Warner, said that one time, and it stunned me. Sin starts to look good when God doesn't. So the enemy attacks the goodness of God. And suddenly all the things around us that God says, no, stay away from that. It's not good for you. Start to look really good. So what is the essence of temptation? Well, it's to ignore God's warnings and instead take matters into our own hands. We give in to temptation when we think we know better than God what we need and when we need it. Temptation is the enticement to get our needs met in some way outside of God's good plan for us. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't share this in the first service, but I'll share it now. I've had the misfortune of seeing pornographic pictures in my life. Uh, More so before I came to know Christ. Uh, Magazines, that was the main way at that time and stuff. I'm not proud of it, um, but it was there. I even one time stumbled on a topless beach in Europe. Uh, This is after I came to Christ. I made a U-turn and got out of there real quick, but images stay in your mind. This is a plague on the body of Christ, young people, older people, men and women, pornography. Now, praise God, I'm not addicted to it. In fact, there was one time where the Lord, excuse me, where the enemy tried to lead me into it. I remember sitting at my computer one time and just going, what What would it be like if I just clicked on this website? Hey, what harm could there be? If it's bad, then I can always confess it later and stuff. And right at that moment, the Lord put in front of me a vision of my family. My wife, Shirley, her four kids, and this horror struck me. What could happen to them and to my relationship with them if I pushed that button and went into that? By the grace of God, I didn't. And God delivered me from that. Folks, there's always a way out. And if you're already trapped, there's a way out for you as well. Get some help. So what were the immediate results of Adam and Eve's sin? Death came into the whole world. Scripture says, death spread to all men because all sinned. The faith, love, and security that were in the Garden of Eden were immediately replaced with fear, shame, and blame. And I believe there was like a cosmic shudder through the entire universe. A like a nuclear holocaust of hell that spread to the farthest part of the universe where sin now pervades everything on planet Earth. So much so that when God makes everything right, he's going to destroy the heavens and the earth and create a new one where there's no sin. That's how powerful it is. Folks, this is not a little blip on the radar screen of history. So Adam and Eve sinned. So what can we learn from their failure? Don't listen to, dialogue, reason, or argue with the devil. It's a losing battle. Flee temptation. Don't fight it. Be careful where you go and where you stay. Run if necessary. And never doubt the goodness of God because he will not, never stop doing good to you. 
Well, let's shift from the bleakness of Genesis 3 to the beauty of Matthew 4, where the Spirit leads Jesus into battle. Now, the first Adam lost the battle of temptation. Satan became the god of this world, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But the last Adam, his name is the Lord Jesus, came to undo the works of the devil. And so uh, let's look at the story just briefly. Uh, we'll be finishing up soon. Uh, in Matthew chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So who started this whole thing? God did. God created the battlefield between the last Adam and Satan. Now, um, Jesus had the Holy Spirit, of course. Satan had his big mouth and his lying attitude. And so to sort of even things up a little bit, God had Jesus fast for 40 days and 40 nights so he'd be weak. <laughs> just even the odds up, just a little bit. Satan made no attempt to cloak his identity. He says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Hey, Jesus, <laughs> what kind of relationship do you have with your father anyway? You're baptized and hey, the whole crowds are adoring you. And he sends you out in the wilderness to be alone for 40 days and 40 nights. You can't eat, you can't drink. Here you are. How fun is this? Now, hey, I know you're hungry. And, you know, and let's just for the sake of argument say that you are the son of God then. Just turn that sucker right there into a loaf of bread. Hey, you know you want to. And Jesus said to him, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so what Jesus was saying in essence is, I don't let my body tell me when to do anything, nor do I let you tell me what to do anything. It's God the Father that tells me what to do. So this wasn't when, um, this wasn't like an attempt by Jesus to prove to the devil that he was the son of God. He probably didn't care. It was an attempt by Satan to get Jesus to act independently of God the Father. That's every essence of every temptation. I'm going to handle this on my own. I'm going to do my own thing. That was the enticement to Jesus. Hey, you know, you've got the power to do it. Just zap that rock. You know, who cares? You know, in uh, John 5, 19, Jesus told us how he lived life. You know, it's up there on the screen. It says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. That was how Jesus lived and how he gave us an example of how we were to live as well. Well, um, the devil, not uh, wanting to stop yet, took Jesus to the holy city, set him on top of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down, do a beautiful swan dive. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they'll bear you up so you won't hurt your foot even on a stone. What a beautiful picture that would be. The crowds will adore you. That was an enticement to that sort of superficial, slimy, popularity. So Jesus quoted again from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 16 this time. Again it is written you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
In other words, you shall not put God in a place where you are forcing him to try to rescue you. You know, I think it's rather remarkable. Jesus, who was the word of God, Satan used the word of God with him. He quoted out of Psalm 91. I mean, how arrogant to think you could deceive the word of God by the word of God? (laughs) Didn't work. So, one more effort by the devil. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory, which he could do because he was in charge the God of this world all these I will give you Jesus if you'll just fall down and worship me just, just a little bit maybe <laughs> just, just, just for a second bow to me I'll give you all their authority and glory I know it's what you want an easier way to do it than the way you're headed it's been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I want if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Now, you've got to understand something. This is the devil, a fallen angel, trying to get Jesus, who lived his entire life for the will of God his Father, to worship him? I think Jesus would have been so repulsed by that thought that his eyes flamed red, and his voice made the devil tremble, even as it makes him tremble now. Get out of here, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so the devil left. And the scriptural principle is James 4, 7. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So, what can we learn from the victory of Jesus, the last Adam? First of all, study and learn the word of God well. Oh, that takes work. You know, Jesus in his childhood studied the word of God. I can't imagine when he went out to the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days that he's carrying a whole armload of scrolls with him. Okay, there they are. And the devil starts tempting him. And Jesus said, you know what? I I think there's a Bible verse about that somewhere. Starts going through scrolls. Hang on a second. I'll find it. No, he had it in his mind. Three times, bam, 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 he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy because he had the word of God in him. Folks, if you want to be a young man or young woman of the faith, it says to be strong and have the word of God abiding in you and you can overcome the evil one. It takes work, but boy, I tell you, it's worth it. And by the way, I'm almost 70 years old. You know how hard it is to memorize scripture now? Has anyone tried at this age? You know, only if they put it in a song, maybe can I. But when I was a kid, when I was like 18 to 24 years old, I could memorize chapters of scripture. If that's your age, don't waste those years where your brain works, you know, and you can really remember stuff. You know, it'll stay with you forever. It's awesome. Secondly, consider fasting for spiritual clarity and power when the spiritual battle gets intense. Now, if you have chronic physical problems, um, you know, consult your doctor first before doing it. Don't say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to um, fast for 40 days and 40 nights. In fact, I'm going to do even better than that. I'll fast for 41 days. <laughs> 
No, you might want to try 40 minutes, you know, first. Or skip a meal or something, you know. But do start. It's for spiritual power and clarity. Resist the lies of the devil by quoting the truth of God's word out loud. Now, you might say, that's pretty weird. Well, actually, it's only weird because we don't do it. Um, But when Jesus resisted the devil, he quoted scripture out loud. That was an example for us. So now you don't have to yell and scream, for God so loved the world. You know, don't be weird. Be odd for God or something. But, you know, if you're feeling accused, like you're just the dirt under the little toenail, the body of Christ or something, you can just say, I reject that thought. For it is written, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That'll do it. The devil trembles before the word of God spoken. Finally, make worshiping the Lord and doing his will the highest priority in your life. And there's the heart issue. Where's your heart? This is crucial. Well, Jesus started out by defeating the devil in the wilderness. And all the time in his ministry for three years, as he cast demons out of people and helped people who were afflicted by spirits, uh, it was the kingdom of God beginning to break into the domain of darkness in this world. But it was only when Jesus went to the cross, and isn't that ironic, that to defeat death, he had to die. That was where the decisive victory was won, by Jesus on the cross. That's why we sing praises to him. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy, because you did that. So a couple scriptures before we wrap it all up here and have a wonderful song to end. First of all, 1 John 3, 7 to 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. The works of the devil are sin, by the way. The devil sinned, has sinned from the beginning. I love this passage, Colossians 2, says you were dead, spiritually dead, because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave us all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away, nailing it to the cross. Now get this part. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So the spiritual forces of darkness, Satan and his demons have been disarmed. They no longer can use sin and death against us as God's people. Is that good news? A holy grunt for somebody, maybe? Yes, it's great news. Those weapons cannot be used against us anymore. So Hebrews chapter 2, again, verses 14 and 15, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who live their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Folks, let me conclude by saying this. This is the first in a series of five messages on spiritual warfare. I want to conclude by reminding you of something or telling you something you may not have realized. There's only two kingdoms. There's the domain of darkness. There's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Only two kingdoms. If you have never bowed your knee and heart to the Lord Jesus and cried out to him to forgive you and received him 
as your Lord and Savior. You're in the domain of darkness. I don't know if any of you saw the uh, first Matrix movie. Remember Morpheus when he's talking to Neo? I don't know if you remember that, that statement. I want to just read a little bit from you from that because it's pretty amazing to me. <clears throat> Neo just acknowledges that what's been bothering him is the Matrix, and so uh, Morpheus is talking to him about it. He says, the Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you to the truth. Neo says, what truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch, a prison for your mind. Every person without Christ is trapped in that place. Every person who has received in humility the Lord Jesus has been rescued from that hell, that place, forever. Folks, why would you want to spend one more second in that domain of darkness. When right now, here this morning, you can say, Jesus, I cry out to you, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, deliver me from that bondage, from the prison of my life, from the prison of sin. Bring me alive spiritually. Call me out of that tomb like you called Lazarus out, and he walked out alive. You can be alive today. You can be free today. You can be set free and forgiven today as a child of the living God. You say, oh, well, does that mean I'm totally protected from all the attacks of the enemy? No. In fact, we'll have four more weeks. We'll talk about how that can happen. Uh, next week, Coach Joe Dillon <clears throat> will take you into the film room and show you some footage of our enemy our opponent. You had a little bit today, you'll get more there, and he will expose how the enemy tries to trap you as a child of God. Then after that, Pastor Steve Harris will bring you into his living room and will talk to you about your wonderful new identity in Christ, who you really are. To shut the mouth of the devil who accuses you of all kinds of terrible things. And will show you the power of the Holy Spirit that you have available to you. And then the fourth week, Brother Scott Angelo will say, okay, what weapons and what armor has God given us to fight spiritual battle? And he'll show all that to you. And then week number five, I'll come back and clean up all the messes that those guys made. You won't want to miss one word of this series. It could be life transforming for you. Let's worship the Lord.